Several years ago, some friends of mine from Kentucky took a cruise and brought me back these Guatemalan worry dolls. I'd never heard of them, but as it turns out, they're kind of famous. According to the legend, Guatemalan children tell their worries to the dolls, one worry per doll, as I understand it, and they put the dolls under their pillows, and then in the morning, the dolls have taken their worries away. Oh, if Guatemalan worry dolls only worked. We worry, I know we, uh, we, worry, we worry about a lot of things. Children worry about dark rooms, and children worry about, you know, the boogeyman. Students worry about grades and what their peers think, and, and, and worry that their parents are going to embarrass them. Parents worry about where their kids are late at night. Grandparents worry about the world that their grandchildren are growing up in. Employees worry about cutbacks and layoffs. Employers worry about lawsuits and profit margins. We worry about all kinds of things. Some of us even worry about worrying. One guy wrote, I've joined the new Don't Worry Club, and now I hold my breath. I'm so afraid I'll worry, I'm worried half to death. We worry even about worrying. Remember, caution good, worry bad. Caution's a good thing. Some of you right now are taking precautions because of this coronavirus, and that's a, that's a good thing. You know, washing your hands and staying out of crowds, that's a, that's a good thing. That's not worry, that's a, that's a good precaution because of a potential risk. Anytime, going to the doctor, getting a physical, that's a good thing. That's not worry. That's just appropriate precautions, stewardship of your health. Having a budget, making sure we live within our limits, that's a good thing. That's not worry. That's just good financial stewardship. Worry is, is concern gone bad, gone wrong. It's concernitis. You know, Arthritis is when your arthrine goes bad, and plantar fasciitis is when your plantar fascia goes bad. So worry is concernitis. It's concern gone bad. Worry is, is inappropriate nervousness, getting nervous about things that are beyond our control. And so Jesus said, don't worry. In fact, over a hundred times the Bible says that we're not to worry. But is that, is that reasonable? Is it even is it even possible? Surely Jesus wouldn't tell us not to do something if, it, if not to do it were impossible or, or unreasonable. So he says to us, don't worry, but, it, but let's be honest, that's, that's easier for some than others. Some people are, are, are really, really born worriers. Those who study this kind of thing say that some people just appear to be wired for worry. Some people live with an anxiety, this underlying anxiety. People have asked me as a pastor, you know, should I be taking this medicine to help control my anxiety? I, I think I've almost always said, you know, I don't think that should be the first step, but that's often a really good step. Some people just have this innate tendency toward worry. For some, it's not something inborn. It's environmental or experiential. If you grew up, for example, in a worrisome home, if you grew up in a home that was tense, if you were worried about your parents splitting up or you were worried about your needs being met, then, then that's in, that tendency toward worry is, is environmental and understandable. So for some it's easier than for others. For some, being carefree is just second nature. 
But Jesus says to all of us who are followers of Jesus that we're not to worry. And so it's a spiritual thing. It is manageable. Worry is not inevitable. So what does the Bible say about that? What are some things that maybe we can learn that would, might be helpful during this coronavirus thing? What could we learn from the Bible about worry? Well, here are three things. Number one, when Jesus is sitting in your living room, it really doesn't matter if all the pots are washed in the kitchen. In Luke 10, Jesus is in the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and Martha is sitting at his feet, learning like a good disciple. When Martha is, as my mom would say, she was juning around. She was busy here and there, making sure everything was in order. And Jesus said to Martha, Martha, my dear, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But Martha is not alone. Have you ever heard of first world problems? You know, in what we call the developing world or the two-thirds world, People worry about clean water and, and military coups. In the first world, a lot of our worries are fairly trivial, and people began to notice that and began to compile lists of first world problems. You know, in the first world problems, we worry that when we get to the hotel, there might not be free Wi-Fi. In the first world, we worry that maybe my new designer jeans will make me look fat. We worry that we won't get invited to the, you know, the social event of the year. And then if we do get invited, we worry that those new shoes that we ordered, that the drone won't deliver them uh, before the big event. Now, I know that lots of our worries are lots more substantive than that, that all of our worries are not trivial. But if we could just, if we could just get over those trivial things, if we could learn not to worry about those things, then... That would be half the battle, right? But again, some of, our, some of the things we worry about are substantial and, and deep and meaningful. And so what does the Bible say about that? Well, let's take a turn and, and let's start talking maybe about some things that are, that are a little more substantive. So the first thing we learn from the Bible is that if Jesus is sitting in the living room, it really doesn't matter if all the pots in the kitchen have been washed. The second thing we learn is that birds, they don't have cable and they don't have Hulu, but God still takes care of them. Birds don't have cable and they don't have Hulu, but God still takes care of them. That was our text that you heard read a few minutes ago. Gator Harris was a friend of ours in Kentucky by March 12 every year, and he was very specific. It had to be March 12. He had to have all the birdhouses up in his yard and renovated and ready to go because he said by March 12, the scouts, the early birds would come through and they would somehow signal that those birdhouses were there and, and that it was time for the great migration, the spring migration. How do those birds know when it's time to migrate? They don't have Hulu and cable so they can't watch the Weather Channel. They don't have cell phones, so they can't watch the app on their phones. They can't read, so they can't follow the farmer's almanac. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they tweet. I don't know how, they, I don't know how it works, but, but God takes care of them. That's what Jesus said. You heard it read. He said, look at the birds, and it's been suggested that he literally said, look over there, look at those birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? So God wants us to trust Him. And trusting Him helps us find liberation from from worry. But I want to be really careful. When I say trust God, I don't mean some naive, gullible, simplistic idea that everything because I love God and trust Him, that everything is going to be okay. That's not what I'm that's not what I'm talking about. That is naive and that is simplistic and that is rather gullible. So let's take our turn to the third thing that the Bible tells us about hope, real hope. And that is, the third thing is that biblical hope, real live hope, is not just castles in the air. It's, it's more than castles in the air. And you can be a person of hope, mindset correcting peace-creating, worry-canceling hope. You can be a person of real, live, genuine, bona fide, biblical hope. Hope says, I will not be destroyed and I will not be consumed. Hear that. Biblical hope says, I will not be destroyed and I will not be consumed. First, not destroyed. Second Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Beat up, fed up, ready to give up. Shot down, dragged down, cut down, put down, worn down, and beat down. But not destroyed. Biblical hope says, even if things go wrong, even if things go haywire, even if they don't figure out this this epidemic thing, I'm not going to be destroyed. Second, Hope, biblical hope says, I will not be consumed. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. That is hope. That is biblical hope. That is mindset correcting, peace creating, worry canceling hope. So Travis, are you saying that That I won't die? No, I'm not saying that. In fact, I'm quite sure that you will. If we don't experience the consummation of history and the return of Jesus, then every one of us someday is going to breathe our very last breath on planet Earth. But you said we wouldn't be destroyed or consumed. It doesn't. It does mean hope means that at the core of who we are, God's going to take care of us. At the core of who we are, we are going to be okay. And that hope, that biblical hope, has its best day in the truth that that we're not going to live here forever. That is ultimate. That is ultimate hope. Let me tell you the story of Jumana. I was in uh, Beirut, Lebanon. This was years ago. I was on the campus of the American University in Beirut. There was a guy there. My host was kind of like the, um, I don't know, volunteer campus minister on the American University. And so he put the word out among the students that an American Christian pastor was going to be there if they wanted to talk. One lady said she did. She was a senior in her last year at the American University. Her name was Jumana. She said to this guy, my host, that, 
she'd like to talk to me, maybe because she thought I was an outsider, I'd never see her again, and I'd be safe. So we met in the cafeteria of the American University, and we, and we talked. She was what I would call a spiritual seeker. Her father is uh, Lebanese, her mother British. She was going to graduate within just a couple of months, and she already had a, uh, a job awaiting her at a big financial firm in London. She asked intelligent questions, hard questions. Knowing I'm a follower of Jesus, she asked what I think about adherence of other religions. She asked the question, what about those who've never heard of Jesus? And she asked the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? But then she took an emotional turn. Things became different. She let me know why she really had wanted to talk to me. Those other things were like preliminaries, building up to this, this one question, this one statement that she made. She said to me, she looked right in my eyes, this young, 22-ish, beautiful, bright, promising young lady. She said to me, I'm afraid to die. Now, there was not a trace of gray in her hair, not a trace of a wrinkle on her face. It will be a long time before her joints ache. But this young lady, 22 years old, said, I'm afraid to die. So I told her what had happened to me just a couple of weeks earlier. I'd had this thing, it's a long story, but uh, they, just to cover all the bases, just to be sure, they wanted me to have the, the uh, neurologist wanted me to have an MRI just because of the slight possibility that there might be a tumor in, on my brain. And so again, I, I went into that MRI when they slid me into that machine, and you've been in them, they clank and they bang and all that. When they slid me in there, I, I, didn't, I didn't think they were going to find anything. But as I lay there and all this, you know, all that was going on that, that, that goes on in an MRI, I had a, I don't know, an experience, one of those mystical kinds of experiences, an awareness, a, a realization that awareness, that realization was, was plainly this. I'm not afraid to die. Now, if I ever am told I have a terminal illness, I'm going to fight it. If I, if, as long as I have a, some quality of life, I'm going to say, would you try everything you've got? In fact, I've told the folks here at church that, that I, I'm going to get me a tattoo for my chest for the EMTs that says, please try CPR one more time. Man, I love life on earth, and I don't want it to end. I love life with its, all its ups and downs. I love life here, and I don't want to die. But there's a difference in not wanting to die and being afraid to die. Boy, there's a lot of uneasiness and a lot of real fear going around, a lot of worry going around. But the one whose hope is in Jesus does not have to be afraid to die. Hebrews 2 says that Jesus died to liberate us from the fear of death. And some of us, some of us may be afraid to die. There's a wonderful old hymn out of my fear and dread of the tomb, Jesus, I come to thee. My, my lack of fear of death, the fact that I'm not afraid to die, is not because of strength or courage. I'm, I'm afraid of a lot of things that you probably are not and, I, and that I should not be. 
And I don't, I don't mean to be simplistic, but I really believe that my, my willingness to face death without fear is based on two things. One, just a simple faith and the belief of, of my whole heart that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. The one who, who places his or her trust, all that he or she has in Jesus experiences that that transformation so radical that Jesus called it a new birth. Doesn't have to be afraid to die. Hear me. To place one's hope in Jesus for here and forever makes you want to live, but makes, makes you not afraid to die. So trust God and choose hope. Place your faith, all that you have and all that you are in Jesus because, quite frankly, Guatemalan worry dolls don't work.